Chapter Eight of Love Insurance by Earl Durr Biggers. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Reading by Matt Perard. Chapter Eight. After the train seals. Mr. Minot opened his eyes on Thursday morning with the uncomfortable feeling that he was far from his beloved New York. For a moment, he lay dazed, wandering in that dim borderland between sleep and waking then suddenly he remembered oh yes by jove he muttered i've been knighted groom of the backstairs scandals and keeper of the royal jewels that's me he lifted his pillow there on the white sheet sparkled the necklace of which the whole british nobility was proud chain lightning's collar some seventy-five blue-white diamonds pear-shaped perfectly graduated his for the moment what's harrowby up to i wonder he reflected the dear old top nice pleasant little party if a policeman should find this in my pocket another perfect day shone in that narrow spanish street up in manhattan theatrical press agents were crowning huge piles of snow with posters announcing their attractions ferries were held up by ice in the river a breeze from the arctic swept round the flat-iron building here lazy summer lolled on the bosom of the town in the hotel dining-room mr minot encountered jack paddock superb in white flannels above his grapefruit he accepted paddock's invitation to join him by the way said mrs bruce's jester holding up a small badly printed newspaper have you made the acquaintance of the san marco mail yet no what's that a morning newspaper by courtesy started here a few weeks back by a noiseless little spaniard from havana named manuel gonzale slept in here on his rubber shoes gonzale dead dressed all in white lovely lemon face shifty can't catch me eyes and his newspaper hot stuff my boy it has town topics looking like a consular report from greenland scandals asked mr minot also attacking a grapefruit scandals and rumors of scandals mostly hints you know several references this morning to our proud and haughty friend lord harrowby for example madame on dit writing in her column on page one as this to say the impecunious but titled englishman who has arrived in our midst recently with the idea of connecting with certain american dollars has an interesting time ahead of him if rumor speaks true the little incident in the lobby of a local hotel the other evening which was duly reported in this column at the time was but a mild beginning the gentleman in charge of the claimant to the title held so jealously by our british friend promises immediate developments which will be rich rare and racy rich rare and racy repeated minot thoughtfully ah yes we were to watch mr trimmer i had almost forgot him in the excitement of last evening by the way does the mail know anything about the disappearance of chain lightning's collar not as yet smiled mr paddock although madame on dit claims to have been a guest at the dinner by the way what do you make of last night's melodramatic farce i don't know what to make of it 
answered minot truthfully he was suddenly conscious of the necklace in his inside coat pocket then all i can say my dear watson replied mr paddock with burlesque seriousness is that you are unmistakably lacking in my powers of deduction give me a cigarette and i'll tell you the name of the man who is gloating over those diamonds to-day all right smiled minot go ahead mr paddock reaching for a match-tray spoke in a low tone in minot's ear martin wall he said he leaned back you ask how i arrived at my conclusion simple enough i went through the list of guests for possible crooks and eliminated them one by one the man i have mentioned alone was left ever notice his eyes remind me of manuel gonzales he is too polished too slick too good to be true he's travelled too much nobody travels as much as he has except for the very good reason that a detective is on the trail and he made friends with simple old harrowby on an atlantic liner that if you read popular fiction is alone enough to condemn him believe me dick martin wall should be watched all right laughed minot you watch him i've a notion to harrowby makes me weary won't call in a solitary detective any one might think he doesn't want the necklace back after breakfast minot and paddock played five sets of tennis on the hotel courts and mr minot won despite the harrowby diamonds in his trousers pocket weighing him down luncheon over mr paddock suggested a drive to tarragona island a little bit of nowhere a mile offshore he said no man can ever know the true inwardness of the word lonesome until he's seen tarragona minot hesitated ought he to leave the scene of action of action he glanced about him there was less action here than in a henry james novel the tangle of events in which he was involved rested for a siesta so he and mr paddock drove along the narrow neck of land that led from the mainland to tarragona island they entered the kingdom of the lonely sandy beach with the ocean on one side swamps on the other scrubby palms disreputable foliage here and there a cluster of seemingly deserted cottages the world and its works apparently a million miles away yet out on one corner of that bleak forgotten acre stood the slim outline of a wireless and in a little white house lived a man who amid the seagulls and the sand dunes talked daily with great ships and cities far away i told you it was lonesome said mr paddock lonesome shivered minot even god has forgot this place only marconi has remembered and even as they wandered there amid the swamps where alligators and rattlesnakes alone saw fit to dwell back in san marco the capable mr trimmer was busy by poster and by handbill he was spreading word of his newest coup so that by evening no one in town save the few who were most concerned was unaware of a development rich rare and racy minot and paddock returned late and their dinner was correspondingly delayed it was eight thirty o'clock when they at last strolled into the lobby of the de la pax there they encountered miss meyrick her father and lord harrowby 
we're taking harrowby to the movies said miss meyrick he confesses he's never been won't you come along she was one of her gay selves tonight white slim laughing irresistible minot looking at her thought that she could make even tarragona island bearable he knew of no greater tribute to her charm the girl and harrowby led the way and minot and paddock followed with spencer meyrick the old man was an imposing figure in his white serge which accentuated the floridness of his face he talked of an administration that did not please him of a railroad fallen on evil days now and again he paused and seemed to lose the thread of what he was saying while his eyes dwelt on his daughter walking ahead they arrived shortly at the san marco opera house devoted each evening to three acts of refined vaudeville and six of the newest film releases it was here that the rich loitering in san marco found their only theatrical amusement and forgetting broadway laughed and were thrilled with simpler folk a large crowd was fairly fighting to get in and mr paddock who volunteered to buy the tickets was forced to take his place at the end of a long line finally they reached the dim interior of the opera house and were shown to seats far down in front by hanging back in the dusk minot managed to secure the end seat with miss meyrick at his side beyond her sat lord harrowby gazing with rapt british seriousness at the humorous film that was being flashed on the screen between pictures harrowby offered an opinion you in america are a jolly lot he said just fancy our best people in england attending a cinematograph exhibition they tried to fancy it but with his lordship there they couldn't two more pictures ran their filmy lengths while mr minot sat entranced there in the half-dark it was not the pictures that entranced him rather was it a lady's nearness the flash of her smile the hundred and one tones of her voice all all again as it had been in that ridiculous automobile just before the awakening after the third picture the lights of the auditorium were turned up and the hour of vaudeville arrived on to the stage strolled a pert confident youth garbed in shabby grandeur who attempted sidewalk repartee he clipped his jests from barber-shop periodicals bought his songs from an ex-barroom songwriter and would have gone to the mat with anyone who denied that his act was refined mr minot listening to his jibes thought of the paddock jest factory and mrs bruce when the young man had rung the last encore from a kindly audience the drop curtain was raised and revealed on the stage in gleaming splendor captain ponsonby's troop of trained seals an intelligent aggregation they proved balancing balls on their small heads juggling flaming torches and taking as their just due lumps of sugar from the captain's hand as they finished each feat the audience recalled them again and again and even the peerage was captivated clever beasts aren't they lord harrowby remarked and as captain ponsonby took his final curtain his lordship added um what follows the train seals the answer to harrowby's query came almost immediately and a startling answer it proved to be into the glare of the footlights stepped mr henry trimmer his manner was that of the conquering hero 
for a moment he stood smiling and bowing before the approving multitude then he raised a hand commanding silence my dear friends he said i appreciate this reception as i said in my handbill of this afternoon i am working in the interests of justice the gentleman who accompanies me to your delightful little city is beyond any question whatsoever george harrowby the eldest son of the earl of raybrook and as such he is entitled to call himself lord harrowby i know the american people well enough to feel sure that when they realize the facts they will demand that justice be done that is why i have prevailed upon lord harrowby to meet you here in this your temple of amusement and put his case before you his lordship will talk to you for a time with a view of getting acquainted he has chosen for the subject of his discourse the old days at rigdale hall ladies and gentlemen i have the honor to introduce the real lord harrowby out of the wind shuffled the lean and gloomy englishman whom mr trimmer had snatched from the unknown to cloud a certain wedding day the applause burst forth it shook the building from the gallery descended a shrill penetrating whistle of acclaim mr minot glanced at the face of the girl beside him she was looking straight ahead her cheeks bright red her eyes flashing with anger beyond the face of harrowby loomed frozen terrible shall we go minot whispered by no means the girl answered we should only call attention to our presence here i know at least fifty people in this audience we must see it through the applause was stilled at last and supremely fussed the real lord harrowby faced that friendly throng dear and people he said as mr trimmer has told you we seek only justice i am not here to argue my right to the title i claim that i can do at the proper time and place i am simply proposing to go back back into the past many years back to the days when i was a boy at rakedale hall i shall picture those days as no impostor could picture them and when i have done i shall allow you to judge and there in that crowded little southern opera house on that hot february night the actor who followed the trained seals proceeded to go back with unfaltering touch he sketched for his audience the great stone country seat called rakedale hall where for centuries the harrowbys had dwelt it was as though he took his audience there to visit through the massive iron gates up the broad avenue bordered with limes until the high chimneys the pointed gables the mullioned windows and the walls half hidden by ivy creeping roses and honeysuckles were revealed to them he took them through the house to the servants quarters which he called the offices out into the kitchen gardens thence to the paved quadrangle of the stables with its arched gateway and the chiming clock above tennis courts grape houses conservatories they visited breathlessly they saw over the brow of the hill the low square tower of the old church and the chimneys of the vicar's modest house and far away they beheld the trees that furnished cover to the little beast it was the earl of raybrook's pleasure to hunt in the season becoming more specific he spoke of the neighbors 
and a bit of romance crept in the person of the fair-haired honourable edith townshend who lived to the west of rakedale hall he described at length the picturesque personality of the racing parson neighbour on the south and in full accord with the ideas of the sporting earl of raybrook the events of his youth he said crowded back upon him as he recalled this happy scene and emotion well-nigh choked him however he managed to tell of a few of the celebrities who came to dinner of their beaumont their preferences in cuisine he mentioned the thrilling morning when he was nearly drowned in the brook that skirted the purple meadow also the thrilling afternoon when he hid his mother's famous necklace in the biscuit box on the sideboard and upset a whole household and he narrated a dozen similar exploits each garnished with small illuminating details his audience sat fascinated all who listened felt that his words rang true even lord harrowby himself sitting far forward his hand gripping the seat in front of him until the white of his knuckles showed through next the speaker shifted his scene to eton thrilled his hearers with the story of his revolt against oxford of his flight to the states his wild days in arizona and he pulled out of his pocket a letter written by the old earl of raybrook himself profanely expostulating with him for his madness and begging that he return to ascend to the earldom when the old man was no more the real lord harrowby finished reading this somewhat pathetic appeal with a little break in his voice and stood looking out at the audience if my brother allan himself were in the house he said he would have to admit that it is our father speaking in that letter a rustle of interest ran through the auditorium the few who had recognized harrowby turned to stare at him now for a moment he sat silent his face a variety of colors in the dim light then with a cry of rage he leapt to his feet you stole that letter you cur he cried you are a liar a fraud an impostor the man on the stage stood shading his eyes with his hand ah oh, alan he answered so you are here after all is that quite the proper greeting after all these years a roar of sympathetic applause greeted this sally there was no doubt as to whose side mr trimmer's friend the public was on harrowby stood in his place his lips twitching his eyes for once blazing and angry dick minot was by this time escorting miss meyrick up the aisle and they came quickly to the cool street harrowby paddock and spencer meyrick followed immediately his lordship was most contrite a thousand pardons he pleaded really i can't tell you how sorry i am cynthia to have made you conspicuous what was i thinking of but he maddened me i-don't worry alan said miss meyrick gently i like you the better for being maddened old spencer meyrick said nothing but minot noted that his face was rather red and his eyes were somewhat dangerous they all walked back to the hotel in silence from the hotel lobby as if by prearrangement harrowby followed miss meyrick and her father into a parlor minot and paddock were left alone my word old top said mr paddock facetiously a rough night for the nobility what do you think that lad's story sounded like a little bit of all right to me 
eh what it did sound convincing returned the troubled minot but then a servant at rakedale hall could have concocted it mayhap said mr paddock however old spencer meyrick looked to me like a volcano i'd want to get out from under poor old harrowby i'm afraid there's a rift within the loot nay no loot at all jack said minot firmly that wedding has got to take place why what's it to you it happens to be everything but keep it under your hat great scott does harrowby owe you money i can't explain just at present jack oh very well replied mr paddock but take it from me old man she's a million times too good for him a million laughed mr minot bitterly you underestimate paddock stood staring with wonder at his friend you lisp in riddles my boy he said do i returned minot maybe some day i'll make it all clear he parted from paddock and ascended to the third floor as he wandered through the dark passageways in search of his room he bumped suddenly into a heavy man walking softly something about the contour of the man in the dark gave him a suggestion good evening mr wall he said the scurry of hurrying footsteps but no answer minot went on to three eight nine and placed his key in the lock it would not turn he twisted the knob of the door it was unlocked he stepped inside and flashed on the light his small abode was in a mad disorder the chiffonier drawers had been emptied on the floor the bed was torn to pieces the rug thrown in a corner minot smiled to himself someone had been searching searching for a chain lightning's collar who who but the man he had bumped against in that dark passageway End of chapter eight